It says the Valley. Yeah. For who? Devin Booker or Mikel Bridges? I'm, just, I'm getting Chris Paul, Booker. Man. No way, Chris Paul. That's like anti me. <laughs> I knew he wasn't getting a Paul. Dude, I was thinking about getting it, but like, but I can't even find it in Canada. Like, no place sells like Phoenix gear. Of course not. Come on. Well, you probably have to go to like the NBA store. No, like not even the NBA store in Canada has it. Well, it's, you get these fake ones, man. Show how like epic it is to get it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. I'm uh I'm considering it, man. I'm considering it. And I'm what I was thinking of either getting a hoodie that's like yeah. that's just the block and it says the valley. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That'd be sick. If they actually had that, that'd be dope. Yeah, they have it. They have it. I've seen it oh. on the American store. I might I might have to order it to uh to my cousins and ask him to ship it or whatever. <laughs> I'm desperate. Doing a lot for an Ottawa Valley hoodie, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like a hundred dollar hoodie. <laughs> well, what's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Hoops Corner. I'm your host, Peter Tran, and on the line, the Iceman himself, the soon baby daddy, Josh Cohen. How you doing? Feeling fine. I went swimming yesterday. It was incredible. Especially in this 30 plus degree weather. That's weird. Where did you go swimming? My brother-in-law has a pool outside, so. Oh, you broke lockdown? Jesus. What do you mean? You're allowed, what, 10 people to gather outside now? Oh, my God. As a Friday at midnight, man, you're breaking all the Oh, well, let's cut this then. <laughs> <laughs> the bang of the paint, Rajon Walia, living in Montreal with no rules in sight. How you doing? Man, this is the wild, wild west, and I'm not even talking about the NBA playoffs here. Yo, how crazy was Montreal after uh, the Les Habitants won the game the other day? That, that let's just crazy. Let's just say when I looked down my window, those famous orange Montreal construction pylons were being thrown at each other. Like people were literally <laughs> grabbing them and throwing them on top of another crowded group of people. And those those things are heavy. They're like a good like fifteen pounds. Man, imagine what happens when they win the Stanley Cup. Oof. Oh, oh no, they're losing. They must. I need to sleep. It's gonna be mass <laughs> chaos, man. Stay inside. Just for Raja's sanity, we need them to lose. Yeah, that'd be hype, man. Who would be more hype? A Montreal crowd or a Toronto Raptors crowd? Oh, Montreal for sure. Especially since they haven't won the thing of a cup in a long time. Those people are crazy, man. Like, cars are going to burn. The city's going to burn. It's going to be great. Yeah. The, the difference <laughs> is uh, Montreal's already kind of, like, half on the verge of, like, breaking down infrastructure-wise. So it doesn't take much to, to really push it off the cliff. Maybe it's not such a bad thing, then. Bridges they can rebuild collapse. it. Oh, no. You don't want them rebuilding anything. They're already rebuilding, man. It's a nonstop rebuilding city. That's the issue. But enough Montreal infrastructure talk. I know Raj loves this shit whenever he gets into it. Can we just spend a couple of minutes, guys, to talk about our boy Nikola Jokic winning MVP as we, well, one of us predicted earlier in the season and also put money on. So I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm wearing my Jokic jersey, as you can see. I'm, just, I'm feeling good today, guys. I'm feeling good. He was humble, you know. When they asked him if he's just happy to not have the conversation anymore, he said yes. Classic Jokic. You know, just, I just want to show some love. Yeah, it seems like he's going to give his trophy away to his teammates based on his speech afterwards. He might do, he might do the real, you real MVP and actually mean it. 
Yeah, he's a nice guy. And you know what, Peter? I see the glow in you. I, I knew this was going to be the first thing that you mentioned. <laughs> but uh, I just hate how the media had to make this a, a story of who might win the MVP. Because it was clear and obvious to real NBA fans who was the most consistent, valuable player this year. Well, according to Charles Barkley, it was Chris Paul, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Ch- Charles Barkley and uh, Josh Cohen have a lot in common, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Yeah, I love Chris Paul, but Nikola Jokic was clearly the MVP this year. He put up historic numbers. He played in every single game, which is something that hasn't happened, I think, in a very long time where the MVP actually played all, not 82 in this case, but all the games in the regular season. And uh, he's been incredible this year. Beautiful. Uh, that, that's all the time he needs, man. In classic uh, Jokic, I don't know, what what is this? What is the word I'm trying to think of, Raj? Uh, characteristics? Situation? Fashion. Fashion? Yeah, you're right. We're just going to move on because the guy doesn't love the spotlight. I want to talk about an LA Clippers team that barely survived Game 7 against the Dallas Mavericks. We saw a couple of like Game 6, Game 7 performances from Kawhi where... It's pretty much what we needed from Kawhi to, to show that he's like a top top five, top three player in the league right now, just to show his clear dominance over the rest of the league. I don't know. Did you guys even want to hit that? Do we just want to move straight into Utah and L.A.? Or, you know, you know L.A. having to go into Utah after, what, two days rest? That alone is already a difficult stance, right? Uh, with a little rest, going into Utah's altitude. And once you go into game one... You know, the Clippers put up a really good first half. They were flowing. They were up by around 10 at halftime. And then as soon as you come out of that halftime, you just saw a Donovan Mitchell game that just went to the next level. Like, he's doing what he did in the bubble last year, except during the real playoffs, right? No bubble championship, no asterisks. This guy's putting on crazy performances. I think he had 40, 44, 47 yesterday. He had more than 45. Yeah, which is insane. He had 45 flat. And he literally carried the team in that third quarter, right? Brought them back. Uh, single-handedly had a 10-2 to run. And, I mean, the Jazz never looked back after that. Meanwhile, the Clippers clearly kept looking back at Kawhi or Paul George, looking for any help for our superstar, Luke Kennard. I should have never needed to say that sentence. That's all I can really say about this game. Hey, I, I would say in the last two games, he's been the most consistent Clipper. Um, but yeah, like uh, the, the Clippers, I want to go back to the Mavs series because that was the only game seven we really had in the first round. And it was a hell of a series. Uh, it's just a damn shame that in the last quarter and a half of that series, Dallas really kind of hit a stone wall with their offense and uh, their shots weren't falling. And ultimately, when you rely on the three, you got to make sure you're hitting it consistently. And uh, Luca didn't get the help he needed. And Kawhi's a robot like he like actually is a robot he there's a stat that they pulled up on yesterday's game that in the three wins against the Mavericks he didn't even miss a single shot whether it was a field goal a free throw or a three-pointer in the fourth quarter or something right yeah in the fourth quarter of all the wins yeah yeah he was 11 for 11 yeah which is crazy (laughs) that's absurd yeah um, but ultimately, um, the, the Clippers were the better team compared to the Mavericks. The Mavericks probably need a little more experience and pieces. But, man, that early first half against the, the Utah Jazz had me worried. Like, I honestly, I still think the Jazz are in a bit of trouble. 
obviously depending on when Mike Connolly comes back. But like I, I feel like Paul George had a bad game. Kawhi was in foul trouble, and it was still that close. Yeah, it seems like the Clippers have some pretty easy adjustments to make. Um, obviously, like I think them playing Kennard in the fourth quarter was ultimately the right decision in that particular game because both Paul George and Kawhi were just not producing on the offensive end. And Paul George, even though everyone's going to say that, you know, he choked in the game, which he did, but he looked <laughs> tired throughout. You could see a lot of the time where he would get past his man and just not have the burst to get to the rim and he would stop short and then kick the ball out. And then the thing that worried me the most about the Clippers was that last play where both Paul George and Kawhi were playing hot potato and did not want to shoot it at all. They didn't even look at the basket. And it ended up with Marcus Morris getting the ball in the corner and for whatever <laughs> reason, not jumping into Rudy Gobert, instead uh, sidestepping him and then getting blocked. So that whole possession was a cluster. But again, I don't really blame them for not calling timeout because you don't really want to go against like a half-court Utah um, defense in that situation. I think not calling timeout is the right play. It's just they did not execute it at all. <laughs> Why can't you call a timeout like mid-play though? Like in that situation. So Kawhi gets the ball at like the left wing. And then just kicks it to Paul George, who immediately gets doubled. As soon as that happens, why wouldn't either Rondo or Ty Lue just look at the ref and be like, hey, time out, quick things. There's still like five or six seconds left on the clock. Like, we tried to run the play, it didn't work. Like, why? I don't understand why you wouldn't just call the timeout and just trust your coaching. Well, the chances that you actually get a good shot in three seconds against a set defense is very small, right? And you're trying to get a three-point shot, too, which is going to be even harder. If it was like a two-point game, I could definitely get you, but... Uh, three-point game you're better off in a chaotic situation where like maybe Utah's cross-matched and you might get a you know Kawhi against Donovan Mitchell type situation or you know against Joe Ingles which you would think that he'd be able to quick him and get a shot off but it just wasn't happening on the last possession no man we've seen time and time again Joe Ingles is clearly the defensive player of the year best defensive <laughs> player in the league against perimeter <laughs> players yeah man he did it against Paul George for all those years in OKC, and now he's doing it to Kawhi in the last seconds of the game. Nobody's messing around with Joe Ingles, man. Come on. I will not take that disrespect. Just because he's slow-footed doesn't mean he's not better than everybody else, Josh. You're right, but in terms of adjustments, though, <laughs> like, Kennard probably isn't going to put up, you know, 18 points again in the series. So I think the obvious adjustment there is to play somebody else in his spot because Mitchell was just picking on him every single play. No matter what yeah. kind of defense the Clippers threw at him, um, the worst was when they were trying to soft hedge against him, or he'd show and then get back <laughs> to his man, and then Mitchell would just split right through both his defender, usually Paul George and Kennard, and get to the basket every time and fouling out whoever was there. I mean, he fouled out Reggie Jackson early in the fourth quarter, and then yeah. they started playing Kennard back, which wasn't working, and they had him switching a couple times on Mitchell, which didn't work. So they just have to switch out that, um, that you know, situation where, like, Kennard's not going to be in for maybe get Terrence Mann in the game, Batum, somebody else. But, I mean, when you're hot, you're hot, right? Like, you have to hot, ride the hot hand in this situation, especially since Paul George was, you know, giving you an absolute stinker. I think he went, like, 4 for 20 in the game, 4 for 17, 18. Felt like 0 for 20. <laughs> That's harsh, man. Four for 17. Somehow ended up with 20 points, but still, man. Four for 17 from your second best player is pretty unacceptable. 
Yeah, again, like I think the the takeaway is the Clippers from their starting five probably will get better production on the whole and uh, their bench probably won't play as well, especially considering the Mavericks series. They were um, kind of hidden for most of the series. Uh, but the, the worrisome thing for me is the Jazz, kind of how they're able to get their shots off. Obviously, they, they're, they rely heavily on the three and they're quite good at shooting it. But a lot of their like efficiency was Donovan Mitchell finding the matchup and just kind of what Luca was doing. But I trust Luca more than I trust Donovan Mitchell, especially just with like the distance shooting. Really? And, uh, and I think Luca's a wow. better passer. Uh, and he's able to exploit a matchup with size better in the post. So uh, ultimately, I, I kind of worry for the, the Jazz enable in the terms of when the Clippers make their adjustment, how will the Jazz get offense? Because we saw what was happening in the first half. It was very static. It was very uh, just swing the ball around the perimeter and find the open three or the less contested three and hope it goes in. And they had no chances on the board. Um, and it wasn't very good on the first half. And good on them to to recover in the second half and pull out the W, but I kind of worry for their offense. I think they're going to have a few games where they put up less than 100 points. Damn. One of my notes was uh, Donovan Mitchell is a bad MFer, and should we be talking <laughs> about him in the in the next ep- like echelon of guys, right? But apparently, Raj, you don't think so. Josh is... Hey, hey. Hey, no, no, no. Luca's definitely in the next level of guys. So Donovan Mitchell's close. I'm not like throwing shade at him. Like, (laughs) not in like that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible Mitchell gets to that level. I mean, he's got Dwayne Wade on the sidelines telling him certain things that what to do. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Everyone thought like after that, he just told him like instead of trying to look for your teammates on the pick and roll, just go to the basket and score. That's what it seemed like happened. You know, in the second quarter. And then come third quarter, that's all he was doing. He was just shooting every time he got it, which was working, obviously. So, um, you know, with Mitchell, the Clippers have to figure out something to slow him down, obviously. I think more Terrence Mann might be the solution to that. He seems like a you know quick enough. Uh, he's around the same size as well. So maybe putting him on him and then trying to trap more, I think, might be the solution. I mean, the fact that like Utah had to take 23-point shots in the first quarter just shows how good the Clippers' defense was at that point, but it seemed like in the second half they just tired out, which is not a good sign, honestly, because they play every second day, but that also could be a detriment to Utah, which needs Conley back, which, you know, may not happen since he's got the same type of injury as uh, James Harden. So it's hard to say. I mean, it's, it's it sucks for both teams only having like a day in between games because Conley may not come back um, in time for the next couple of games. And then the Clippers just seemed so tired in the second half, so they need to get some yeah. rest. Yeah, you can't really mess around with hamstring injuries, right? Unless you want to be like uh, Anthony Street Clothes Davis and come back and end up leaving in like five minutes. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't even bother trying. Why not just have like Paul George just stick to him no matter what? You know, he's supposed to be one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. He's tall. He's long, he's fast enough, he's got quick feet. Why not just stick him on Mitchell and just say, like, just stick with him no matter what? We could, we'll box in one if we really have to, you know? Wouldn't that be simple enough? I don't think so, because Utah is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league, so you can't really box in one against a team that has such good three-point shooters on the team. And then they're also playing super small, too, so if you're having Paul George, you know, fight over picks, you're basically allowing Donovan Mitchell get in the paint and, you know, the Clippers had some issues there on the offensive glass against Utah. 
And, you know, Gobert's going to get a lot of opportunities if you do that as well, which is fine, I guess. But at the same time, like, you don't want Mitchell getting the paint every single time and playing drop back defense, right? So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's poor, poor Clippers. Um, how do you get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George some easier looks on offense? Because a lot of their offense yesterday was legit just, you know, a simple pick and roll where Zubach would roll hard to the rim and then Paul George would pull up for like a mid-range jumper that he inevitably clanked off. Or just pure iso ball. You know, Kawhi and PG love the iso, iso runs, right? Like, do you, can you run more plays through Rajon Rondo? Do you let Reggie Jackson cook a little more? Even though, like, we already mentioned he got fouled out in the game. But how else do you get this offense flowing, Raj? It's a tough ask just because the the Jazz have a few wing defenders in Royce O'Neal. Bogdanovich can hold his own. And even Ingles is a good perimeter defender. Um, but I, I think the, the key way for them is really to do screen and roll with whoever has Gobert. And Gobert has a tendency to just kind of stay off a bit. And you're going to get an open shot and or a semi-contested shot. So I think that's really kind of what they have to do. And the good thing is if they do that, they also improve their chances of getting boards because Gobert is going to be pulled out a little onto the perimeter. Um, and then you're able to look at other matchups. But I think the two players you have to attack is you have to kind of directly attack the best defensive player on that team and probably one of the defensive player of the year candidates this year and Gobert. Uh, attack him directly and then... Um, kind of pull them out into the perimeter and uh, use that to your advantage. I think they were doing that a lot in that game. It's just, I think if you look at the stats, I'm pretty sure like Paul George went like 0 for 7 against him with a couple fouls drawn and turned it over a few times as well. So he just wasn't taking advantage of that matchup. But I think what the Clippers could do is use Donovan Mitchell more in those actions, sort of like what Mitchell was doing against Kennard and just try to tire him out throughout the game. And then if they end up switching on to switching them on to like Paul George and Kawhi, then you just try to post them up and attack them. But the biggest thing is like you know, especially if Conley's not playing, you want to take as much out of you know the energy tank from Mitchell on the defensive end as you can, so he's not as fresh in the fourth quarter because he didn't really have to play much defense throughout the game because since uh, Royce O'Neal and uh, you know Joe Ingles and Bogdanovich were all taking turns against Paul George and Kawhi. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, taking advantage of the Mitchell matchup is, is going to be key. No more Jordan Clarkson cooking out there, man. Oh, he was killing Paul George in certain, you know, sections of the game as well. And Paul George gave up on a few possessions of the third quarter, too. Like that Niang yeah, he three. He was tired. He was so tired. You could tell. No, but he like, just looked no frustrated, though. Like, especially in that Niang three, he just gave up on the no. play. He didn't even rotate. Josh, how many times have you gotten tired at a run? And just being like, uh, we're down like four games to 11. Like, what's the point here, you know? Hey, if I'm getting paid $30 million a year to, you know, that's, play that's in this more kind of reason, environment. That's even more reason to look forward, Josh. Nah. You gotta look forward, man. If I'm getting called Pandemic P on Twitter, I'm doing everything in my power to lose that nickname. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Who do you guys have taking this series? It's only 1-0. So close. Honestly, I chose the Clippers before everything started, so I'm going to take Utah. <laughs> I don't even know why I chose the Clippers. Like, they're not going to make the conference finals in our lifetime. Yeah, Rush? no, I. they're going to the chip. Um, they're going to win this. Who's they? The Clippers. 
the wow. uh, aforementioned Clippers. I, I think they're going to win this. Um, ultimately, I, I think they're going to split in Utah. I think they win the next game. And honestly, I think they win in five games. Oh, come on. You're not giving Utah another game? I will take that bet. Yeah, easy there, Skip Bayless. Wow. <laughs> that is crazy. I'm taking Utah in seven. Let's go to the distance, man. I want more seven-game series. Moving on, let's go to the... Do we want to talk about uh, Hawks Sixers or Bucks Nets first? Do you want to talk about Giannis getting annihilated or Trey Young not getting any open looks? You guys can pick. I say Bucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Woo! These these Milwaukee Bucks are absolutely... I mean, they've just gone back in time, right? This is the exact same team we saw in 2019 against the Raptors. This is the same team we saw in the bubble against the Miami Heat. Although they got a lot of leeway because of all the the social justice stuff that they like were doing. But this team has absolutely regressed into the past two years of just awful playoff, playoff, awful... Just, ugh, I'm so frustrated with this team, I can't even speak properly. Game one, <laughs> James Harden gets hurt 43 seconds into the game. At that point, you got to be like, man, like we're the Bucks, we got this. Our defense is being good all year. Our offense is flowing. This is the opportunity. Let's just let Kevin Durant get to his spot every possession. Let's just let him elevate over PJ Tucker from that like 15 foot baseline jumper that he loves all the time. Let's just let Kevin Durant do whatever he wants. Oh, Kyrie Irving's getting a pick. Let's go under. Let's play drop back defense. Just like we did in 2019. Let's let every offensive player on the Nets go off. Let's let Blake Griffin hit four threes in our face. Oh, and by the way, we're going to let Giannis run point guard again. Are you kidding me? What, like, what is this? What is this logic? It got so bad that Marv Albert literally called out Giannis. Someone's like, hey man, you might not want to run the point anymore. Like, Marv Albert. Dude's like 108 years old, Josh. And he's still chopping up Giannis. Like, I... I I just don't understand. Why the hell has this Bucks team regressed? The whole year, all we heard was, oh yeah, we're trying new things. We're going to run more Drew Holiday and Giannis uh, pick and rolls. Our offense is going to be flowing. And then as soon as the real series starts, because that Miami Heat series didn't really count, Raj, we just see this team regress into the exact same team that they were for the past two years. I mean, uh, I don't know, Raj. Like, what the hell? (laughs) That's all I can say. What the hell? Yeah, like, it's so frustrating because everyone thought this was going to be a great competitive series, maybe even better than the possible NBA Finals, and it hasn't lived up to that. And ultimately, I, I'm i struggling to see if this is a player's mistake or if this is a coaching mistake. And obviously, they're, they're both to blame. Like, the coaches can do better. The players are the ones on the court. But, like, who's more to blame here? And for me, I just can't help but point the finger at Bud because they were doing things so well against Miami. And then for some reason, they decided to default back into their unsuccessful ways of their previous years. And I, and like, I don't know if the players just do that by default, but like, why is Giannis running the point? Like, why don't they have any set offense? Why isn't Brooke Lopez taking advantage of the height he has inside? And getting the only defender, really, that can probably stay with Giannis in foul trouble. Right? Like, it, 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 it just baffles me. 
I think the problem is Milwaukee has to change their identity this series and this series only in order for them to actually win because their identity has been, you know, having Giannis and Brooke Lopez play together a lot. But I think ultimately for them to be successful in this series, they have to split them up. I think that Brooke Lopez has to come off the bench. And I think that you have to have one of those guys on the floor at all times. And then maybe in crunch time, you play them together. But they're getting killed in, you know, drop coverage, obviously, because they're playing against two of the best pull-up shooters in the NBA or NBA history, really. And those guys are getting whatever they want. So even though you can say Drew Holiday's on uh, Kyrie Irving, once you set a pick on him, Kyrie's just going to town on whoever's, you know, in that drop coverage, right? So, or nobody. Or nobody. Apparently. I mean, and they're leaving <laughs> Joe Harris open so often on these little, like, easy plays to defend. All you have to do is switch when they run, like, the cross actions with, like, Bruce yep. Brown. All you have to do is switch that because he's not going <laughs> to get – he's like, Joe Harris is not going to take advantage of, like, a Brent Forbes matchup, right? And they just keep messing up those little things. And, you know, the Nets are getting easy shots early in the shot clock, and then Mike James is going to town when he comes in the game, too. So it just seems like little small adjustments that they need to make. But I think ultimately like, the big adjustment they need to make is like having Brooke Lopez come off the bench and have Giannis be the starting five for them. And with Giannis, like, he needs to stop taking three-point shots, period. I know Marv Albert brought that up like you mentioned, like shooting those shots early in the clock. That's what they want. He needs to go like prime 2000 Shaq. And just try to foul out every single person in front of him and force the Nets to play KD on him. So that way he can take advantage of that matchup and then tire out KD. And there's a lot to ask of Giannis in this series. But as you mentioned with P.J. Tucker being on KD and that not working, Giannis needs to be the primary guy on him too. I told you. I told you last week when we talked about it. I told you Giannis has to be the guy because P.J. Tucker's too small. And he's old, man. Like, you can body as much as you want, but, you know, when you have that much of a height differential and a shooter like KD, the only way to really defend it is to get someone equally as long, right? Like, KD's got at least four inches of height on on PJ Tucker, not with, like, not taking into account his long-ass arms, right? There's a reason they call him the Slim Reaper, Josh. Yeah, and I mean, PJ Tucker's... He can play Kevin Durant in certain scenarios, but once KD gets going, like you have to throw different defenses at him. Like you can't just have him play one on one every single time. You need to throw some junky type defenses at him. And you know the Bucks played zone in game two, which they did like I think they said two <laughs> percent of the time throughout the year. Like it's something they never did. So dumb. And they were so desperate yeah. to do that. I think the offense is the bigger problem though, because they keep taking really stupid shots early in the shot clock. And then Middleton keeps showing who he is in the playoffs. Like, he started 0 for 8, which basically put the Bucks in a massive hole. And he's been trashed the entire series so far. KD is shooting 55-50-91 in the playoffs. Take that in. He's shooting 50% from the three. I think the bigger stat in all this is Brooklyn is shooting 50-40-90 from, you know. <laughs> As a team. <laughs> yeah, on the floor for the first two series. Oh my goodness, I love it. Yo, Raj, who would you rather have on your playoff team in round two? Chris Middleton or Paul George? Oof. This is tough. I'm going to I'm gonna have to say, surprisingly, playoff P. Oh, hell yeah. At least he can still defend. Kind yeah, of. And I, <laughs> yeah, kind of. I think also, like, 
Chris Middleton, I think his role has been very defined in Milwaukee. And I think Paul George has at least had some playoff success in various different teams. So I'm going to attribute some of his lack of success in the playoffs as just being in new environments, kind of new pressure situation. Chris Middleton, like you've been on this team, like you know your role. You've played alongside Giannis. You've had the same coach. Like you, you got to perform better. And especially in the series against Toronto two years ago and now this series, like he's kind of been flat out invisible on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think just all three guys just need to be better. Like, Holiday's taking stupid shots early in the shot clock as well, and he's taking a lot of pull-up twos. So he needs to take advantage of his size when he's going against Irving. And they just need to get Irving in more situations on defense, too. Like, there's been a bunch... Like, yesterday's game, for example, like, Utah got Kennard in every single action, no matter what, when he was on the floor. Even if he was just going to show on a pick-and-roll, right? And then when Holiday runs a pick-and-roll... They often, you know, they obviously, like, Brooklyn's switching a lot, right? So you're getting Irving to switch with Bruce Brown, and then you get Bruce Brown in an action with Kevin Durant as the big. So you're going against those two guys instead of going against Irving and KD in a lot of scenarios. They just need to get him in more actions to, you know, again, tire the guy out or just take advantage of the size mismatch. Like, Drew Holiday's at least, like, two inches taller than him. Middleton gets him on him. He should just take him down to the post and punish him. And they just haven't done I mean, that. It's great logic if Chris Middleton could ever hit a shot. But if if he's going to keep missing easy jumpers and like little bunnies at the net like he has been in the first two games, then that mean the Bucks don't really have a chance if Middleton doesn't show up, right? It's as simple as that. If his offense isn't flowing, they, they really have no one else to really turn to. You're not going to count on Bryn Forbes to hit a lot of threes every game. Can't really count on Pat Connaughton. You know, what are we going to do? Throw Bobby Portis out there? Hope he punches somebody in the face. I think they sort of have to like rely on Brent Forbes to hit a lot of threes, though, right? Because he is playing a lot, and then whenever he's in the game, like they get him in a ton of actions, just sort of like what they've been talking about, you know, the, what the Bucks should be doing against Irving, and he's giving up a ton of threes as well because he's not, I guess, he's not smart enough or quick enough to like show and then get back to his guy. Like Joe Harris got a bunch of looks off that too. Pitiful man. What if we just throw at the Nassus out there to really go chaos on them? He might injure somebody on Brooklyn. <laughs> and Brooklyn might still win. Yeah, Thanasis is like, you know when you're playing pickup and there's that football player that just shows up randomly to get some cardio in? That's Thanasis, man. Yeah, and they face guard you and they're so physical off the ball. It'd be like a two-on-one fast break and you're off the ball and they like face guard you despite yeah. the player with the ball going yeah, to the basket for a no layup. Yeah, sense. That's Thanasis out there. Even though he's from Greece and probably didn't play football growing up. He's just that kind of player. Oh, man. Uh, uh, Raj, are you giving the Bucks any chance of coming back? Right now, they're 2-0. We're going to release this on Thursday before Game 3. Uh, the Bucks, yeah, I think they have a chance of coming back. Obviously, going down 2-0 is, is a struggle, but the Clippers were able to come back. And ultimately, they were playing two games in Brooklyn, right? So um, you can kind of chalk that up to home fee, uh, home court advantage and... Uh, I think the, the key thing is Josh mentioned is like really getting your offense going. Like if they're not able to solve or get good shots, good looks on offense, they obviously have no chance. Um, and ultimately the star power on Brooklyn is, I think, just too much. Um, they have they have the two best players in the series now uh, in Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Um, and they're also missing probably the third best player in the series 
uh, and James Harden. And I, I do expect him to come back at some point, whether it's game four or five, uh, maybe even play limited minutes. Um, so right now, I, I, I don't see the Bucks winning this series, but it's possible. Um, but it would go to game seven and I'm taking the Nets in six. Yeah, I mean, based on what we've seen, you would expect the Nets to probably win in five games, if not four, because they've just totally dominated the Bucks on in every single aspect of the game. But I think the Bucks will hopefully finally make some adjustments in Game 3. I think the three-point shooting is going to go up another level in the next game because it can only go up at this point. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Giannis needs to take that cushion that Blake Griffin is giving him and just try to jump through him and over him. He needs to stop shooting those jump hooks and just like, just go straight to the basket every single play. Remember when we thought Blake Griffin was washed? That was fun, right? He fooled yeah. us. He fooled us. He's only us. 32 and uh, apparently still throwing down putback dunks. Playing incredible defense against, uh, you know, not right now, but the former two-time MVP. No big deal. Just casual. Casual Detroit Piston, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, going in the series, you would expect it, like, DeAndre Jordan to start, possibly. Um, I mean, based on how the Nets were playing uh, the Bucks the entire regular season, he was playing Giannis exclusively and yep. just playing on one-on-one coverage. And they totally switched that around this, uh, this series, obviously, so it's interesting. Steve Nash fooled us. Steve Nash and his coaching staff of Mike D'Antoni and... Uh, Amare. Amare. Uh, Amare. Jacques Vaughn is there, I think. Yeah. Meke Udoka, ooh, that's a strong staff, man. All right, well, yeah, I I gotta stick with my Bucks and six pick because you know I'm stubborn like that. Oh wow, but it's the not Raps looking, come back. Not looking great. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is like the Raptor series where you know the Bucks come down from two zero and surprise us all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> find that find that trick, Steve or Bud. Oh fuck, I gotta rely on Bud's coaching. <laughs> Never mind. Moving on. The Hawks and Sixers series. This this series is much more interesting than I thought it would be. So going into game one, about 30 minutes prior, we get news that Joel Embiid is going to play with a, a very minute right meniscus tear. I guess it didn't really matter because he looked incredible out there. Uh, in game one, we saw Trey Young doing whatever he wanted. And I literally mean whatever he wanted. Like He could have taken someone's kid for all we care. This guy did everything he wanted against that Philly defense. Danny Green tried to stay with him. Didn't work. Every time there was a screen set, they, again, for some reason, teams like playing drop coverage because Joel Embiid was nowhere to be found. And Trey Young either just pulled up or went in for that little floater of his. He leads the league in floaters on the year. So just a note to any team playing against him, you might want to cover that little mid-range area. Just because he's not taking pull-ups doesn't mean he can't score from that area. You know what I mean? And as a result, obviously, he gets everyone else involved. Collins went off. Herter went off. And, I mean, the Philadelphia offense was just nowhere to be found. Clearly, the defense was nowhere until the fourth quarter. Yo, that that comeback in the fourth quarter was insane. Their defense locked up. They finally put Simmons and Theibel onto Trey Young like we all wanted. And then that that nasty-ass Bogdanovich three with 40 seconds left. He hushes the crowd. And then... I mean, Philly tried to almost got it back, but that was it. That's it. That's it for game one. Game two rolls around, and we finally get the Tobias Harris and, of course, Raj's favorite player, the Shake Milton game. Shake Milton goes off at the end of the third into the fourth, and, I mean, Philly didn't look back. 
Embiid, Embiid's meniscus tear doesn't look like it means anything realistically. They put Simmons and Thibel on Trey Young for most of the game. I think Danny Green in the first game covered Trey Young for like 27 possessions. In game two, it was like four. You know what I mean? You put Simmons and Thibel length on him. It pesters him the whole way through. He starts forcing up shots like, you know, Trey Young obviously does. This is what John Collins complained about earlier in the year. And, you know, it was pretty much a Sixers game the whole way through, right? Like, I don't know, Raj, you were watching this game. What what else did the Sixers really do other than putting real defenders on Trey Young? They were able to get some bench scoring and uh, Doc made the right call in putting Shake Milton. I think at that point the game, I think Atlanta actually took a two-point lead um, r- near the end of the third and Shake Milton came on and had an offensive explosion and ultimately I think that was the deciding factor in the game. Uh, credit to Atlanta because they've been playing Philly really tough at uh, at Philly and um, especially considering they've had kind of two different seasons. Atlanta's had a season with the Lloyd Pierce and then Nate McMillan and the Nate McMillan team is, is for real. Uh, they have good roster construction. They have uh, good scoring all around. Um, obviously, Trey Young is able to draw fouls at an incredible pace. Uh, I won't be surprised if one game he's able to draw like 20 fouls just based off of the bullshit that happens. Um, but uh, ultimately, I, I think the Sixers made the correct adjustments. Uh, Embiid doesn't look like he's hampered by the knee injury. But I, I still think the series could go longer than I even anticipated just because Atlanta's kind of well-matched. Yeah, Atlanta has shooting, and when you have shooting, you can win any game, right? Especially in the NBA. So the biggest thing that Philadelphia did after Game 1 was complain a lot about Trey Young. I mean, Ben Simmons, you know, he basically pulled a Phil Jackson saying, oh, you got to look at the tape. As long as, uh, you know, they allow me to play Trey Young, we're going to shut him down. And for the most part, he did that. I mean, Trey had 21-11, and but, you know, Ben Simmons was able to stick to him a lot more, especially in the first half. Um, and then, you know, come second half, the biggest difference in the game, like you guys said, was Shake Milton. And Tyrese Maxey was a guy who took over his role um, the last couple of games. And, uh, you know, after Shake hit that near half-court shot at the end of the third quarter, it totally changed the game around. And all the momentum went to uh, Philadelphia, and they went on like a crazy run. I think it was like 16-2. to So at that point, the game was over. Before that, Atlanta was keeping in it. There was, you know, certain sections of the game where Philadelphia was up 10 to 12 points and then, you know, Atlanta would come back. I think there's three different times where that was the case, where they came back from a 10 or 12 point deficit and got it down to zero or even took the lead in the third quarter. And that Shake Milton shot was the difference in the game, really. And that's not a good sign for Philadelphia, seeing as Joel Embiid is averaging 39.5 points despite having a hurt knee. So <laughs> if you're Atlanta, like you're pretty happy right now, to be honest. Is the knee really hurt? You know, maybe Embiid's just messing with us. He's questionable before every game, too, which is not a great sign. But uh, when he's out there on the court, he just completely dominates. Yo, he's doing a LeBron, man. Don't trust it. He's just messing with us. LeBron was questionable for every game this season until he, you know, ultimately got hurt by Solomon Hill. But before that, LeBron was questionable every game. Don't trust Embiid, man. I don't trust any player that's questionable. Rosh's boy, Solomon Hill, um, started today. Uh, eight minutes, two rebounds, <laughs> zero points. Hey, hey. Well, Over two. You know what? What were, what were his stats game one? Just You're, muted. You're on mute. You're on mute, just like Solomon Hill's game. <laughs> you, know, you know what? What? Pull up the stats for game one. He started again, didn't he? 
Six points, three rebounds. <laughs> wow. <laughs> also, on that note, Atlanta should also be very happy because DeAndre Hunter hasn't played yet, right? And now he's got two days rest, or two games rest. Hopefully his knee's okay. I mean, with him sitting up playoff action, that's not a good sign, obviously. But if worrisome. he's actually able to play, that's it's a good sign for Atlanta. That's very worrisome. Any time the players have to sit out actual playoff games, you're, you're kind of worried about it. Um, I know you guys talked about Trey Young, but is Trey Young's foul hunting going to be effective in the playoffs? Like, this is something that guys like James Harden and Chris Paul have have dealt with in their past, right? Like, during the season, you get a lot of easy calls. Trey Young's lean-ins work a lot easier, and, like, refs tend to give it to them. But playoff basketball, despite despite the league being softer than it used to be, obviously it's not, like, banging like it was when we were growing up, but the refs kind of swallowed their whistle a bit more during the playoffs, right? And we saw this with Trey Young. I mean, he was foul hunting, and I mean, Scott Foster didn't give him shit. I don't know about that. There was a couple calls, especially on Thibel. There was one in the fourth quarter, especially where Trey Young got into the lane, and then he stopped and like he gave Thibel a little elbow. Hmm. Like Thibel didn't even push his momentum into Trey Young, and he still got that call somehow. And Thibel was like, he had the most insane reaction to it. <laughs> Which I don't blame him. I'm yeah. surprised he didn't challenge that one, but I guess it's probably best to keep your challenge when you're still up, you know, 10 points with five minutes left. But that call was such nonsense. And there's been a couple of those in game one as well. They, 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 can't, they can't just call it based on Trey Young, you know, running into guys who are behind him. It's so stupid. No, and even worse than that is when he launches himself into the defender and then just throws his arms up. Like he literally leans in and then like he brings his elbows up to make sure there's lots of contact. Not just the shoulder. And then and then it's just yeah. the ball up. It, it Like, you have to know who, who's running into who. Like, come on, guys. Yeah, you know who we had to blame for that is Chris Paul. Yes, Chris blame Paul Chris Paul. Chris Paul is OG with that kind of stuff. Yeah, man. Like that move, you know when Chris Paul is running up the court on a fast break and just, like, stops on a dime at half court just to draw a foul? Like, dude, you have, like, a three on four or, a, like, a four on three and you're just going to stop to draw a foul? Yeah, but Trey Young does that in the pick and roll, right? Like, he has a guy yeah. on his back, and then he stops, waits for the contact, then lunges forward to show that he got fouled. I mean, evolution, Josh. This is what your favorite player has done to the league. Hey, Nash did it before Paul, so blame Nash. No, nobody blames Steve Nash for anything. Let's be real. We blame Chris Paul for everything. Um, so, okay, we've seen the 76ers adjustment to the uh, to the Hawks, right? And the main one be obviously being putting Simmons and Thibault onto Trey. What kind of what kind of counter adjustments do you expect from the Hawks, Josh? Do do you run more off of Trey? Do you let him, you know, kind of be like Steph and try to run him off of like off screens? What do you do here? I think it's more about the defensive end cuz you know, Philly got off especially in the second game um in the second half, but again, that's based on Shake Milton exploding, so Honestly, if you're Atlanta, you don't really change that much. I mean, they've played pretty decently throughout the course of the first two games. Their offense has been pretty good overall. I mean, last game, obviously, they got shut down in the fourth quarter. But um, I think you keep running things through Trey. You maybe use John Collins a bit more. And you hope DeAndre Hunter comes back to give you another option instead of having uh, Zeroman Hill playing games. Bruce. Hey, hey, without Solomon Hill, the LeBron James Lakers may still be in the playoffs. So uh, we have him to thank for that. This is true. This is true. 
No thanks to DeAndre Ayton. So who do you guys have for this series? Are we still sticking with the Sixers here? Yeah, I mean, as long as Joel's knees don't collapse, I still have them in probably six games. Yeah, I have them in six. Five. Ooh. Clean sweep all the way through, man. Let's go. And the last series, uh, I don't even know if we'll have this up before game two. I highly doubt it. But the Nuggets-Sun series, let's hit this quickly. Uh, In game one, you saw DeAndre Ayton essentially continue his playoff run, right? In the first series against LA, he basically tied up with Anthony Davis. And in game one against the Nuggets, he did the same thing to, to Nikola Jokic. Jokic had 22 points, like eight rebounds, nine rebounds. Nothing crazy. And DeAndre Ayton basically played him to a, stand, a standstill. Before the game, uh, Jokic already acknowledged that you know Ayton's one of the guys who defends him the best. And we, you know, we basically saw what happened. The, the Nuggets had to rely on Facundo Campazzo and Aaron Gordon to carry a lot of that offense, which is never, never a recipe for a win, right? On the other hand, you had Mikael Bridges popping off for 22, 25 points, getting a lot of phantom calls, Josh. This Phoenix team of yours gets a lot of fake and ones. I don't really know from where, but yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know how do the how do the Nuggets adjust at this point because they they just need Jokic to really pop off, right? I don't see any way around it. I I think the biggest adjustment they need to make, even though he went one for ten in the first game, is they have to start uh, Monte Morris because he's the only guy that can really generate offense off the pick and roll. And Jokic gets a lot of his points, um, you know, in advantage situations where they're running a pick and roll and he gets the ball at like the free throw line area with a step, either shooting his little floater shot or a mid-range shot. They just need to get him in more actions where he's um, in movement and he's not just isolating as Aiden every time, you know, from 18 feet away expected to do everything while Phoenix loads up against him. And obviously, Michael Porter Jr. needs to be healthy going forward, and he needs to score like 25 points a game for them to have a chance. Yeah, I, I think the the issue with Jokic, and Josh mentioned it, is he's getting the ball farther from the rim against Aiden, and by the time he's able to get into a, a very favorable scoring position in the post against Aiden, Phoenix is able to throw another body, um, and really, it's happening late in the clock, and they need to be able to get Jokic on the run so he's better able to assess kind of the options instead of him and the team being static because um, Jokic and the Nuggets at their best is when there's a lot of cutters, when Jokic has a really good view of the court uh, and he's able to really pick the open man and being able to put the pass right on the money. Um, but ultimately, it's just going to come down to scoring. Um, and like Josh mentioned, uh the Nuggets are going to need someone to score at one other player besides Jokic to be able to score 25 points a game. Uh, and if that's Michael Porter Jr., I don't think you're going to get that from Aaron Gordon. Um, so I think it's only MPJ. Like You need other guys besides those two to score, obviously, but MPJ needs to be the second guy. And they need to get him in more advantage situations too, like off of pick and rolls where he's like, you know, Devin Booker switches on to him, Chris Paul switches on to him, he can shoot over those guys. I mean, Aaron Gordon's doing a pretty good, you know, uh, impression of a guy who can, like, actually get to the basket off, you know, post-ups. And he was taking advantage of the Booker miss or the Booker uh, cross-match where he would be guarding Booker on the defensive end. And, you know, when they're in transition, Booker couldn't switch off of him. And he was just taking him down there and putting him through the basket. So, yeah, smart. But I think that the one strategy um, adjustment that Denver needs to make 
is every single Phoenix Sun had a good game last game, right? So I think they need to decide what they're going to do against the two guards. They can't give them both things. Like Devin Booker seemed to be a pretty quiet last game. He went 8 for 12 from the field, and he had 20 points and I think 8 assists. So I think you need to ultimately decide like what you want, like what kind of poison you want to pick, right? You need to decide whether you want to give up those mid-range shots to Booker and Paul, or if you want to trap them and basically give up everything because Phoenix was ready for it last game. I mean, it's kind of hard to game plan when the refs are on your side, you know? A lot of phantom calls, man. A lot of phantom calls. I'm just saying there were a lot of uh, fake fouls on Mikhail Bridges and Devin Booker. Just saying, watch, watch the tape. I could see, I could see why. Oh my goodness! Just watch the tape. They lose man. by like 18 points, but it was the refs' fault. Yeah, because the refs no, no, really no, want no, no, Phoenix no. to win. No, man, it's it's very simple. You should know this by now. You get a couple of phantom calls going your way as like a role player like Mikhail Bridges. You get a couple of N ones, and things just start flowing for you, man. You open the floodgates. That's all it is. It's a rhythm game, you know? You get a couple of shitty calls, you go in your way, and boom. Yeah, it sounds like a Nuggets fan that wasn't very happy with how game one went. (laughs) I don't like bad refing. You know, it is what it is. If the Nuggets lost, they lost. But it'd be better if the refs weren't on the Phoenix Suns side. Well, let's just say that the Nuggets were outplayed in the second half by the Suns, and we all saw that. But the refs definitely weren't the most consistent, especially if you even just look at the number of free throws that each team took. That's... A bit absurd. Six. Denver took six. That's all I'm saying. All right, well, I'm going to assume Josh still likes Phoenix in this series. Raj, who do you like? Uh, Again, just because of the scoring, I have to go with the Suns. And I'm all about the Valley. So uh, I'm going to say... (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say Suns and six. I think Denver is able to to win uh, the two games at home. Those Valley jerseys are sick. Yeah. Those have to be some of the coolest jerseys left. Uh, Josh, six games, seven, five, four? Uh, I think if Barton and Dozier come back, I think it can be six or seven. But if they don't, I think Phoenix wins in five. Barton is questionable for game two. So by the time of release, you guys have known. I'm going... Uh, Porter is questionable too. No, he'll play. He'll be fine. Denver six. I love my six-game series. All right, let's uh, do a little bit of Stats Corner before we call it off here. So uh, going along the lines of, you know, what Kevin Durant's doing in this playoffs with his insane shooting, even despite being double and triple teamed in certain situations. um, In terms of contested shot frequency, can you guess, I guess we'll just go with the top five players. Who is taking the most contested shots thus far in the playoffs. This is counting round one as well, so it might be some guys that actually are out of the playoffs right now. Most contested shots in round one? Uh, overall in the playoffs so far. So this might include round one guys. Oh, okay. Um, but just in terms of the contested frequency versus getting open shots. And these guys right now, like the top five guys, in terms of their contest frequency, um, the top guy is at 89.5%, and the fifth guy is at 84.8%. So these guys are taking a lot of like contested mid-range jumpers okay. and have to create a lot of offense for their teams. And uh, last question, there's no minimum number of attempts? Okay. In this case, no, because most of these guys are like high-frequency okay. uh, guys. Okay, Luka Doncic. And sorry, this is actually contested threes, my bad. 
Luke. So it's contested three. It's not contested shots overall. Luka Doncic. Luka is actually number six <sighs> at eighty-two point nine. Uh, KD, obviously, I think you're mentioned. He's gonna be number one, right? He's number one at eighty-nine point five, and despite that, uncontested threes at thirty-four attempts, he's shooting fifty percent. What a freak! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, oof, contested threes. I'll say LeBron James. Uh, LeBron's further down the list. He's at around 15. Okay. Give me PG. Paul George. I don't see him anywhere on this Jeez. list. So. <laughs> He's missing He's not taking threes. many contested threes. Open threes. Um, playoff P. Kawhi Leonard? Uh, Kawhi is, I think he's around number 12. Oh, we're horrible. We just talked about him, my boy MPJ. Yes, Hell he is yeah. number two, 87.8% shot uh, <laughs> contest frequency. He's only taken six um, uncontested shots, 50%, and on contested threes, he's taken 43 at 39.5, <laughs> which is still pretty damn good. It's pretty good for contested <laughs> three. Oh my goodness. Uh, the number three guy is another guy on his team. On Denver? Is it the is it the MVP? It is the MVP. MVP. He's taking five uncontested at eighty percent and thirty-five contested at thirty-seven percent. I wouldn't call Yusuf Nurkic contesting, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then you had uh, somebody who's out in the first round who had probably one of the most miserable first round series of all time. Oh, Julius Randle. Yes, number five um, on uncontested looks. He had five shots, forty percent. On contested looks, he shot 28 at 32%. And that's why they Damn. lost. Why is oh he shooting 33 threes in a, in a five-game series? Not great, Bob! And the last guy is a guy we've shat on, you know, throughout the course of the podcast, who needs to play much better, and who has continued to be terrible in most playoffs. Josh, we really talked about Paul George. <laughs> and Chris Paul. <laughs> the Eastern, Con- hey, relax. <laughs> Eastern Conference Paul George. Oh, Chris, oh Middleton. Chris Middleton. What a yes. guy. Yes, 34 attempts, uh, 35%. Six uncontested at 33%. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Woo, <laughs> man. This guy needs to go pray or something. Jesus Christ. All right, well, good stats, Josh. That was fun. That was good. That was good. And uh, that's it, right, guys? I think that's all the time we have for this week. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Leave us those comments on iTunes. Leave us those five-star reviews. Raj only five-star reviews. Thank you very much. Uh, You can find us on all the other podcast platforms. I'm talking Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, whatever. Uh, Instagram and Twitter at Hoops Corner Pod. And until next time, peace.